Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. We are here recording this podcast on Monday afternoon. Regular season wrapped up, so we thought it'd be a good time to kind of, you know, now with the totality of the entire regular season behind us, we can... I think discuss maybe the trajectory of the program, discuss the year-over-year improvements, the year-over-year disappointments, uh, just our overall thoughts uh, for on this 2023 season. Gabby, I want to go position by position, offense, defense, wrap it up with just big picture thoughts on where things are going. Uh, before we get into it here, uh, I want to highlight again, it's Cyber Monday when we're recording this. We have a 75% off deal, annual subscription, VIP membership to InsideTheU.com that gets you a year's worth of access for 27 bucks. And these next eight weeks are going to be important for the Miami Hurricanes football program, whether that is transfer portal, whether that is high school recruiting with early signing day on December 20th, whether that is coaching carousel moves that impact Miami, whether that is NFL draft uh, decisions. Lots of things happening here over the next eight weeks. I think that 27 bucks, you get more than your money's worth with that subscription. So if you want to support this podcast, if you appreciate the work we do here, we go much more in depth on the website. So give us a shot, 27 bucks. This deal runs through Tuesday night at 11.59 PM. So you got some time to still take advantage of it. Uh, anyways, Let's get into it here, Gabby. I want to start with the offense, just big picture-wise, just kind of highlight the the numbers that kind of matter most, I think, when tracking offense. So 2023, Miami finished this regular season averaging 32.1 points per game. That ranked 35th in the country, 441 yards per game. 
that ranked 25th overall in the country. They averaged 6.2 yards per play, which ranked 27th in the country. Yards per play is kind of a basic measurement to uh, quantify explosiveness. So 27 in the country in that regard. Compare those numbers to 2022. Uh, Miami averaged 23.6 points per game in 2022. That was 96 overall in the country. 366 yards per game. That was 85th overall in the country. And then 4.8 yards per play. That was 102nd overall in the country. So this year, they were top 40 in all those key metrics. Last year, the highest they were in any of those metrics was 85th. So they essentially jumped anywhere from 40 to 50 spots about in all of these key metrics. Um, some of them way more. Some of them 60, 70. I don't know. Year over year, Gabby, I think if we're being realistic, those improvements on offense are about as good as you could have expected. Yes, there there can be frustrations in a micro sense of play calling on a given play or a decision in a given game. That's all fair and on the table. I'm not going to push back on that. But just the totality of the season, you know, look, Mario Cristobal, kind of went out uh, out of his comfort zone, hiring Shannon Dawson from the air raid tree to come jumpstart this offense, get it going a little bit. And I think he delivered results. Again, wasn't a perfect season. There's definitely things that frustrated me offensively uh, with, the, with some games or some situations. But overall, I think this season was a success offensively, considering where it came from last year. What would you say big picture wise about the offense in 2023? Definitely. Uh, definitely. I would say an upgrade. Uh, it, it definitely was at, at its times and its moments, it was beyond frustrating and the quarterback play. And the thing is, despite all of that, right. Despite all of that, there was just a clear uptick in production, the numbers and everything else that kind of goes into offensive football, uh, you know, obviously they upgraded the offensive line, uh, you know, but even like the, the supporting cast outside of the offensive line was very similar to what it was in 2022. Right. Mm -hmm. So same quarterback talking about kind of this, I think early in the season, we could probably say same group of running backs, you know, before Mark Fletcher really mm -hmm. got going uh, same group of like wide receivers, essentially, except, you know, maybe some reserves maybe played bigger roles. Right. Um and the numbers, they increased drastically. So, you know, again, it, it wasn't perfect at times, but I think the foundation's there. And I think where maybe I'm most encouraged, obviously, is just the fact that I think it was clearly a, a better just overall offense from scoring. I mean, block all, all everything. Uh, but what what it could look like when the personnel is is leveled up yes. when it's when when it's when they get the better players on, on the outside. I mean, Jacoby George and Xavier Shreffel both had great years, but I mean, there there is potential to add better players to the wide receiver room. There, Tyler Van Dyke had a very up and down season, and we still found uh, Shannon Dawson still found a way to elevate this team to thirty two points. Uh, what was it thirty two points per game? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a jump I maybe saw going into the season just year over year right it's a, it's a huge jump nine so, points 
nine points. That's massive. I mean, before the, I don't know what you said before the season, but I think we were talking about if this team could average like 30 points per game, right? Like that was yeah. kind of like the, the mark. Uh, they got 32. So uh, I think all, I think there's a lot of, a lot of positives to take away. Again, when you kind of just take a step back and just evaluate it as a whole, and maybe not just by, you know, some individual cases uh, I'm encouraged because I think that this is clearly a scheme that's more friendly for playmakers uh, for for guys who can do something with the ball in their hands, and when you get a you get a quarterback that quarterback situation sorted out, figured out, I think that this offense has a ton of potential to just continue to take next steps, right? To go from yeah. thirty two and make another leap. So, yeah, I'm encouraged about just the offensive improvements year over year, and just even beyond. I think that this is an offense that just can continue to elevate as you upgrade and level up the talent. Yeah, I think that's the point. Is this is kind of a starting point moving forward for what, what it can be next year. Um, so let's get into maybe let's start at quarterback, right? Um, and, and let's just have a discussion with the position group of what we liked, what we didn't like. And look, you, you mentioned it, you know, lots of up and down moments, obviously with Tyler Van Dyke. I think it's fair to say like when Tyler was on the moments were the high moments were excellent. I mean, we, we saw, elite quarterback play at the college level uh, against Texas A&M. You know, I think that was probably the high watermark of the quarterback play this year. And that was the reason why they, they went out and earned that, that win uh, in week two of the season. Um, and, And look, I think in other games, we saw glimpses of big time quarterback play as well. Um, I do like how, you know, um, this offense asks the court or gives a lot of trust to the quarterback. Um, you know, he has the ability to spray it around the yard to, to a lot of different types of pass catchers. I think that's a good thing. Um, and then, you know, there was also some tough moments that, you know, are obvious, you know, that we've talked about a lot during the season, Number one, you know, there was just, for whatever reason, some sort of mental block about uh, finding answers against zone coverages at times. Um, You know, the quarterback play was frustrating in that regard. You know, Tyler finished the year with what? 12 interceptions, I want to say. Yeah. I think 10 of those interceptions, according to Pro Football Focus, was when he had a clean pocket to operate in. So... He was at fault on 10 of those interceptions. You know, as we know, a lot of interceptions around the country primarily happened due to pressure. That was not an issue with the quarterback play this year. The offensive line, generally speaking, gave the quarterbacks plenty of time to operate. So those were kind of the frustrating things to me about the quarterback play. And then just in general, too, you know. You had bad and yeah, some unfortunate injury luck that made Tyler Van Dyke more immobile than he already is, and you know that limited limited him too, and, and contributed. I think it amplified the zone coverage issues because you had an injured quarterback that didn't feel comfortable running against drop zone coverages. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think. That's how I would kind of characterize the quarterback play this year in general. Up and down, finished on a high, which again, I like. Good for Tyler finishing things out in that regard. 
but that those middle, whatever, four or five games where he was kind of struggling were extremely, extremely, extremely frustrating. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the way I would describe it. It's just frustrating. I mean, just especially we just can, just thinking about, um, you know, you fe- it feels like if some of those games were just clean games, just clean quarterback games, like I think just the, the overall, I mean, the team, just the rec- the, the se- regular season record, uh, the perception of the program and where they're at right now, uh, the win the loss column, right? I think some of those performances directly impacted the results of games. I would say potentially all of them uh, impacted directly impacted the results of games. Uh, so yeah, I mean, those lows are low and just kind of, you asked, and you asked a question on the instant reaction podcast, like my favorite, like would be like my, one of my like core memories of Tyler Van Dyke. And I like just kind of going back and thinking about this, like that Texas A&M performance is probably going to be at the top of my like mm-hmm. high Tyler Van Dykes, right? Like top, top Tyler Van Dyke moments. And, uh, you know, just him being able to go out and, and win that game and doing it in the way that he did was really impressive. So we saw the yeah. really good Tyler. We saw the really, we, yeah, we saw the really big Tyler and, you know, beat a, a talented and whatever Texas A&M, they were what they were at the end of the season. And it, I don't even think that that's just like the overall point that that's a talented Texas A&M team that, you know, that, that came to hard rock stadium as, you know, uh, you know, ranked, um, you know, they they were expected to be better. They weren't, they underperformed, but Miami still went out and beat them despite, you know, struggling early in that game, right. Bouncing back and, and finding a way yeah, that after had that big time throws to yeah. go win that game. For so. sure. So, you know, again, it's it's just up and down. And, uh, you know, that's how kind of I remember the quarterback quarterbacking. And to your point, like the end of the season, it the, the quarterback play did it did finish off well. Like, you know, the Louisville game and that Boston College game were two of his better performances of the year outside of the Texas A&M game. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think he put Miami in position to win both of those games. Uh, you know, I think he he played well enough in both of those games. And obviously the Boston College game was was, you know, really good. Tyler Van Dyke and what I think we, we hope to see more of throughout the season. And yeah, you know, I guess that's the best way that I would describe Miami's quarterback play this season. Uh, definitely, definitely a roller coaster. How do you feel like the position coached it? So this is obviously Shannon Dawson. Yeah. Uh, the OC who coaches the quarterbacks as well to me, Gabby, you know, I think it's fair to maybe nitpick the managing of the quarterback room. Mm -hmm. I I feel like the funk that Tyler got into, you know, during that time of struggling was way too long. I don't think it should have been tolerated to last a bunch of games I don't think it was acceptable that they never really found answers against, you know, with the zone defense problem. Um, and look, I, I said this, I forget after what game, but I think there's something to be said for when guy when a guy is just c- consistently struggling against the same looks game after game after game. There's something to be said for giving a guy a break for a series in a game to let him settle down, maybe see the game for his series from the sideline. And look, quite frankly, obviously we're saying this with the benefit of hindsight, but Tyler, he did respond well to the benching of the Florida State game. You know, Louisville, he came out, performed pretty well. Boston College, he came out and performed pretty well. I also kind of have some issues with the overall management of the quarterback room. From a development standpoint, um, you know, I 
I think my and and I don't really have an issue with Shannon Dawson, you know, coming back next year, but I would challenge him next year to be better with really being intentional about developing the room as a whole. This isn't the group of five where you have one quarterback that's probably good enough to be your starter. At this level of college football, you will have three or four potential starters in your room. Now, the timeline for those potential starters is different from each you know, each guy, depending on their age. But it is your job to still maximize each one of those guys every single day. And I don't think he necessarily put that type of effort into each one of the guys in the quarterback room this year. And I would challenge him to be better about that next year. Do you have any thoughts on how the position coach Shannon Dawson did with working this quarterback room this year? I think you said it well. Uh, just it felt like it was I, I definitely feel like the leash on Tyler was a, probably a little bit too long. Right. Like he definitely like the struggles just continued to kind of pile up and pile up and pile up. And I mean, we were kind of looking at each other like, OK, like where's the where's the line in the sand? Right. Like where where, where do we just kind of draw and be like, OK, like let's let's just take a step back right now and and see. And to your and to your point, he did respond well to the benching. And maybe if that happens sooner, uh, who knows, maybe we get a good Tyler. Van- if you do it, if you do it sooner, maybe you get a good Tyler Van Dyke against Florida state. And that game ended up being close. And who knows what happens if you get a the good version of Tyler Van Dyke against that Florida state. And just with the way that that game played out. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, as far as just how he managed the room, I mean, I don't know, like one of like my things that maybe I wish we saw this season was maybe Jakari Brown in some sort of role. Again, just considering how the, yeah, this something. wasn't a good red zone offense. Yeah. And one of the easiest fixes to a red zone offense is a running quarterback. Uh, it just gives you the numbers advantage. And we saw Jakari play zero offensive snaps this year. So it just kind of felt like, I don't know, this is just me editorializing. Just kind of felt like, like Jakari wanted the red shirt, which I think was fair to ask for. And it felt like they were holding that against him to their own detriment, which is weird. And Shannon Dawson is the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. And I think if he pounded the table like, hey, this guy can help us in the red zone, we get four games to use him. I think he could have gotten on the field. But what do I know? I'm 100% with you. And... Yeah, I mean, I think like I, saw, I think we saw other teams use bigger quarterbacks in those situations against Miami. Like, I think I think Louisville I don't know if they did it Louisville, with a guy Louisville that's scored. not that athletic. Absolutely not, and they, and he scored. And I know NC yeah. State brought in, and I know they maybe they do that more often, but they brought in Brennan Armstrong. Um, you know, when when they got closer to the red zone too. Uh, I, again, I think it's just he's he's a mismatch, and I think just seeing zero snaps out of him is just tough. I think that's tough. Again, who it's knows mismanagement. It, it, let's right. call it what it is. It's mismanagement. Yeah, so that's right. And I think that that's what we're, that's probably my biggest gripe with just this quarterback situation in general, outside of maybe t- letting Tyler struggle for too long. Uh, you know, not like the, for the, how much we saw Emery Williams, I would have liked to see Jakari maybe even just, I'm not even saying as much or like give him those same, like whatever. Four if they games. To go, 
Right. He had four games. I mean, give him, give him something. Right. I think we should have seen an opportunity, a, a series. It wasn't like the, it wasn't like the flip side was just significantly better than like the alternative wasn't much. I don't know. To me, there, there, there wasn't a clear, I don't know, showing display that said, this is, this guy is obviously the better answer right now. And credit to Emery. He played well and he played hard and all that stuff. But I think there was still enough where it's just like, okay, like we saw what Emery can do. Let's see what Jakari can do, especially in this situation. And especially when there were times where it felt like, you know, maybe even short yardage situations on the goal line. Right. I think I forgot what game it was. I think it was the NC state game where Amy gets like stuffed uh, uh, fourth and one on the goal line. It's like your, your power, your power running it. Why not throw and Louisville. Right. And Louisville in Louisville. So, I mean, look, you're doing it to the detriment of your team. They used Jakari in that role last year. Right. Two things changed since last year. Number one, he asked for a red shirt this year, which again, I think that was fair. Now, again, I'm I'm editorializing this, but like if you're holding that against him, you are being way too stubborn as a head coach. I hope that's not happening. Number two, the other thing that changed is the offensive coordinator. So it's one of those two things. I don't know. Uh, I do hope and I do think if I were to guess today, we will get a look at what Jakari is in the bowl game. So that'll be a valuable evaluation opportunity to see what they got in Jakari uh, and, and his development as well year over year. What do you feel like, you know, speaking of that, what, what do you feel like the future looks like at quarterback? Because I think we've talked about, you know, at length now, the portal is, you know, it's probably... Tyler Van Dyke's, you know, career at Miami is probably coming to a close. He's probably going to have to portal somewhere. Wish him all the best. He can be good at his next stop, and we hope that he is good at his next stop. So that's worth being said. Um, in terms of portal guys coming in, you know, I think I think it's fair to say, look, I mean, I don't, you know, as we're recording this, these guys have not entered the portal, but there's just chatter out there. And I think it's fair to bring up chatter surrounding a guy like Washington State's Cam Ward, Kansas State's Will Howard. There's some chatter with Maryland's Talia Tungavailoa, even though I don't know if he really has any eligibility left. But there is chatter from his camp that he would like to um, continue his college career. Again, I don't think he has eligibility. We'll see how that plays out. And Michael Pratt, you know, the two-lane quarterback, the vibes, pretty much all the vibes I get there is that he's going to the NFL draft. So I think those are maybe some early names to keep an eye on. Yeah. But as more and more quarterbacks enter the portal, the portal doesn't open until, what, December 4th? 4th so right. a week from now, uh, you know, this pool can can grow. I think I think there's a chance Jakari still comes back next year. Um assuming that Miami makes it clear to him that he is in their long-term plans. Uh, next year, of course, Emery Williams comes back. They have Judd Anderson committed. They are chasing Cedric Bailey. But let's talk about Portal here. Anything you're hearing at this point, or are those names that I kind of mentioned just the ones to keep, to continue monitoring, you think? I think those are I think those are the ones that we that we keep getting, you know, the most feedback on, right? Uh, you know, uh, Talia Tango Vailoa, uh, you know, is definitely a popular name that comes up, you know, just as we're kind of sifting through this again, he's a, he's, 
I mean, we we have to kind of dish out the timeline, right? Because technically he doesn't have any eligibility left. So maybe there would have to be some sort of waiver that he's there granted. Would be, but I don't know the path. I don't. I don't, I don't know, know the how. path to it either. And and that's the kind of the confusion of just but the his name. camp thinks it's possible for some reason. His I don't camp, know. His camp definitely thinks it's possible. And I think, I don't know. Again, I don't want to like overstate or over like over. Yeah, let's just leave this. it at that. Let's yeah, maybe. That, maybe so. All right. Maybe his camp thinks that. But he he appeared in five games in 2019. And that would be that would have been his quote unquote red shirt season. His true freshman season at Alabama. So appeared in five in 2019. So he didn't get a red shirt gets the COVID year. So that doesn't 2020 doesn't count. And then played at Maryland 21, 22, 23. So I don't know where you find That's this years. Yep. I don't, I don't know where you find this mystery year, this mystery uh year, but yeah, I think he would need a waiver. We'll see if that goes through, but I'm definitely intrigued by, you know, both of the other options, right? Like Will Howard, uh, you know, he's a guy that I, I know, you kind of look at his career trajectory. Also, he, he struggled as he kind of became the Kansas state quarterback, uh, you know, he was kind of given opportunities early. Uh, Skyler Thompson, who is like one of the Dolphins backup quarterbacks. I think he gets injured one year. Will Howard has mm-hmm. to kind of elevate struggles again. And it kind of starts to click for him. And I think late 2020, late 2021, uh, and then into 2022 became the full-time starter. And Kansas State went to a big, uh, the Big 12 championship uh, in 2022. And they're a nine-win team here in uh, 2023. So uh, you know, it's a good program. Will Howard's done a good job. And then Cam Ward, I mean, just his his big time throws are are so big time. And it sounds like he's going to be a December grad. Uh, so he has already transferred from Incarnate Ward to Washington State. And we'll see if he kind of tests the market as a grad transfer, because I think that there the will be a market will. for him. And, and yeah. yeah, so I think Cam Ward is isn't going to be another really intriguing quarterback option uh, that emerges. I think potentially so f- emerges. my understanding is I think Notre Dame really wants like Riley Leonard if he okay. enters if they don't get Riley Leonard they're going to go all in on Will Howard it's kind of the vibes and then but again this is all fluid this can all change Cam Ward I think is just going to be a massive you know anyone that needs a quarterback is going to throw their hat in my the hot game. take and I don't know I don't know about I don't know anything about this but my hot take says Oregon like I just feel like that's a that makes sense. Yeah, that would be. I feel like that would be just a quick move for Oregon to go make that happen. Right, right. Keep that thing hot. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida, with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at. Torres Lionel one, the number one at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. Attention business owners. Have you filed for the employee retention credit? Do the latest IRS releases have you concerned about your filing? Are you seeking clarity on your employee retention tax credit filing? If you've done your employee retention tax credit filing to a third party and have reservations about its accuracy, turn to the experts at Musarino Furdock PLLC. 
Their team of experienced tax professionals will conduct a, a, a meticulous assessment of your filing, ensuring it adheres to all relevant regulations and guidelines. Their rigorous evaluation process will leave no stone unturned, providing you with a comprehensive analysis of your employee retention tax credit submission. There's no hidden fees. They're here to help business owners who may have fallen victim to a third-party scheme. Seek certainty in a complex landscape. Call Musarino Furdock, PLLC, at 561-437-0414 or visit musarinofurdock.com. That's M-U-C-E-R-I-N-O-F-U-R-D-O-C-K.com. Let's go to running back. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say Mark Fletcher was the bright spot of the season. Finished second on the team in rushing, but he did crack the 500-yard mark. Not many true freshmen do crack the 500-yard mark for Miami, you know, since the year 2000. So that is something. And he didn't. He missed a, a few games, right? So uh, he he did a nice job. He was one of the most productive true freshman running backs in the country this year. And he averaged, I think one of the more impressive things about him, he averaged 3.8 yards per carry after contact. Miami hasn't had a running back that's averaged at least that in a decade plus. So he is a different type of back for Miami. And I think you've got to keep in mind, he has not spent a full year in Miami's strength and conditioning program. So I think there is a sense internally that he's going to keep leveling up um, as he gets bigger, faster, stronger. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. I think the other guys, look, Henry Parrish, Don Chaney, AJ Allen. I think the talent is the talent. It is what it is, but I think it's fair to say they kind of maximized what they are and um, credit to them for that. I think, the challenge moving forward is to just keep leveling up the talent, keep getting more Mark Fletcher level talents in the running back room. Yeah. And, and just what you kind of mentioned about getting the most out of that room. That's something I was going to bring up when we kind of talked about the position coach, Tim Harris Jr. I do think he yeah. got the most out of what was in the running back room, right? Like I think he got Agreed. the most, I mean, he got the most production that we've seen out of Don Chaney, right? Don Chaney yep. stepped up at times you know, at times when his like in the Florida State game, Don Chaney kind of stepped up. I feel he like did. I feel like each of those backs stepped up at different times. Like I feel like, you know, obviously there was I think Mark Fletcher became the clear cut running back one, but there was games where AJ Allen took over, you know, made some stuff happen and you know, kind of, you know, made a play when it was time to make a play. There was games that Mark Fletcher did it. There was games that Don Chaney did it. And we saw the Boston College game. I mean, Henry Parrish did it. Like Henry Parrish was the difference maker at running back. Um and I think, you know, maybe early in the season, I'm just not remembering, but I know, I know Henry Parrish, you know, did some okay things early in the season also. So, you know, I, I think that room for what it is, uh, you know, I think that they did do a good job of maximizing or getting close to maximizing the talent in that room. So, that, I mean, yeah. that's that's probably the way that I would categorize or, ta- you know, discuss how this room performed in 2023. Yeah, and I think another, another way to kind of, view the you know judge coaching at that position group is pass protection and i think in general this group was was pretty solid to actually quite good in pass protection this year so 
that's encouraging to see. I do think like moving forward, right? Like what we didn't like or what we need to see moving forward, you got, they need some game changing potential in the room in terms of like speed, game breaking speed. Cause look, Mark Fletcher's good. And he definitely broke some long runs this year, uh, but he just, you know, on runs of 50 plus yards where it'd be nice to have that gear to get to the end zone. He doesn't quite have that. And that's fine. He's a good player. He He's very good at what he does. Uh, but you, you do need to pair him, I think, with some game changing type of running backs. You know, they have a guy in Kevin Riley who's committed that has some juice to him. They have a guy on the roster and Chris Johnson that I'm intrigued by with his speed. Uh, he has track type of speeds. So hopefully those guys can get in the mix next year and make a difference in that regard. I also too, and I understand why they, you know, went with the hot hand approach this year, but in general, I just, I prefer to have a feature back and you still, you can still pepper carries around to the entire room, but I think it's important for an offense and for a team to know like, Hey, this is our main man and we're going to ride with him. Um, so that's my take on that. How about the future of the room? I talked about Kevin Riley, yeah, Chris Johnson, you know, I'm sure some of these guys too will come back. I don't know which ones, but Henry Parrish, Don Chaney, I think AJ Allen's a lock to come back, but, um, what do you think about the room moving forward? I'm encouraged by the room moving forward. Uh, you know, Mark Fletcher is of course really young and, you know, he hasn't even been, he's been here for, I mean, not very long. I think he got in here in June. So it's, I don't even think it's been like six full months that he's even been at Miami. Right. So, uh, you know, or if it's been six months, it's been just, just around that. Uh, so I think, you know, having Mark Fletcher coming back and getting a full, you know, winter, spring, summer with him again, before it's time to, you know, play Florida in the opener. I think just that alone, uh, you know, is awesome. I think that's huge. Uh, you know, Kevin, I think bringing in another guy like Kevin Riley, I, you know, I think the, I think Kevin Riley is a really, really good high school running back. Uh, you know, I got Chris Johnson again, we're talking about traits, right? You know, that elite speed, that top end speed. And if he can figure it out and continue kind of growing as a ball carrier and a running back, uh, I think he has a potential to be, you know, to have a role to carve out a role for himself. We saw some stuff with AJ Allen. I think he was dealing with like a hamstring thing for yeah. a lot of the year. Like, I don't think that he's like AJ Allen has been particularly healthy either, uh, you know, to, you know, just to give him the benefit of the doubt of from his like kind of up and down uh, performances or, you know, availability over the course of the season. Uh, so I think if when he's fully healthy, I think maybe, you know, they still really like what they have in him. Like I still hear very good AJ Allen things uh, despite kind of what we saw uh, at times this year. Uh, and then look, they're still chasing others, right? Like, you know, what if you're able to go and potentially flip a guy like Jordan Lyle, uh, the St. Thomas Aquinas running back who's committed to Ohio State. I mean, I think that gives you another, you know, early and I'm not early and early, but freshman running back who could potentially crack the rotation. And we're talking about wanting to stack Mark Fletcher types, right? Mario Cristobal said it this morning on the radio. You want third, we need 30 more Ruben Baines, Mark Fletchers and all those types. Like I think Jordan Lyle is someone that's potentially cut from that cloth coming from a really good high school program and let's see if Miami can get him on board. Obviously there's still ways to go there, but I think the running back room is getting to a place that it's, it's getting closer to what it needs to look like or what they want it to look like. So I am encouraged by what the future of the room looks like. Wide receiver. Uh, I think the bottom line here is the system worked that Shannon Dawson installed. 
being from the air raid coaching tree. Look, Xavier Restrepo and Jacoby George finished this season as the second and third leading receivers in the ACC. Both guys cracked 800 yards on the season. Restrepo was just under 1,000 for the year. So product- productive showing there. Colby Young uh, finished the year with 563 yards and five touchdowns as the third uh, most productive wide receiver. So uh, in terms of just pure production, this offense delivered. Now, again, as, as we kind of mentioned earlier, what does it look like when you upgrade the talent? A wide receiver. I think that's the intriguing thing about this offense. But with that being said, they, they got the most out of the players they have. Um, you know, I, I, I was highly encouraged by Jacoby George kind of taking a big step forward, starting to um, turn his potential into production. I was encouraged by that. I think, you know, one thing I didn't like or one thing I wish that there was a little more of it you know from the receiving group or passing game in general i wish there was more of a consistent deep threat on the outside um you know whether it's jacoby you know the jacoby george and colby young deep shot targets they went nine of 27 on those deep shot targets to those two players you know i think coming into the season i was hoping that tyler harrell would be kind of an explosive deep threat type of guy in the offense but that never transpired um, but overall, I think this receiver group kind of maximized what, what they are. And, and quite frankly, they probably produced, you know, I probably thought Colby would be producing like Jacoby did. Um, but at the end of the day, the three starting receivers produced probably at a, at a higher clip than I would have anticipated coming into the season. Exactly what I wrote. I think the group overperformed relative to expectations. And those are our expectations, right? So but I do think that Jacoby George overperformed. Like I think he I think he produced way more than I thought he was going to produce. I would say the same about Xavier Strepo and you know Colby Young, you know, again, he still was in that that mid five hundred range. So and that's right. and that's obviously impressive. So I mean with the receiver room, again, I think there's and it's and it's kind of like what I said earlier. So I don't want to like just keep beating that. Like you know, I I just think that you know, there's obviously I'm glad those guys performed well and those guys are talented and they showed that they can be productive wide receivers. But I still think that there's room to upgrade the wide receiver room. You know, in in, in major ways. Like I think that overall talent of the wide receiver room can be up can be upgraded. And I think Miami's on its way to doing that. You know, talking about like what does the future look like? Sorry, David. I, I you know keep get, getting ahead, but like they're 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 doing the right things as far as adding you know high school talent, bringing in good players to the room, and injecting that room with talent. And I think over time, the system works, like you said. And when that when the system works with with really good football players, not saying these guys aren't, but just with more really good football players, I think that we're just con- going to continue to see that production and, uh, you know, see those guys just continue to blossom and, you know, kind of, you know, produce in, in this system. So I, I am, in, I, I like what I saw from the receiver room. I, I like this, how the system helped elevate uh, this wide receiver room and help them perform uh, to a different level than what we've seen from them in the past. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have, no real pushbacks on the wide receiver room, you know, as far as just what they did in 2023. Kevin Beard did a nice job, you know, getting through to Jacoby, I think was impressive. He also, you know, helped Brashard kind of 
take a little bit of a step forward. I don't I think there was more meat on the bone there, but that was more due to a lack of opportunities. Um but yeah, if we're looking at the future, as you mentioned, the recruiting class is very good. Jojo Trader, Nike Carr, Chance Robinson. You know, I don't know if any of those guys are necessarily going to come in and light the world on fire as true freshmen, uh, but I think two years from now, that core can be very productive for that, what would it be, 2025 season? Yeah, I'm excited to see what Ray Ray Joseph can do next year. Um, I, I think he's going to be a breakout player next year. I am curious, like, let's see if Tyler leaves. I kind of assume Xavier Restrepo will go wherever he goes um, via the transfer portal. And I, I'm kind of curious to see what Brashard Smith decides to do, whether or not he wants to come back, simply because he was clearly frustrated this season. If you followed him on social media, he didn't hide that frustration. So I'm curious if he has a decision to make. And then look, I honestly, I still think there's some meat on the bone with developing Jacoby George. I think he has another level to reach, and I hope this taste of production this year uh, makes him even hungrier to keep improving for next year. If I was him, I'd be motivated by Charleston Rambo's story. You know, Rambo was, you know, technically to this point, Rambo's a better receiver than. Um, Jacoby, but Rambo, Charleston Rambo still was not good enough to cut it in the NFL or even get drafted. So Jacoby needs to, in my mind, remember that story, go be motivated this off season to put in the work, to be a better receiver than Charleston Rambo was his last year at Miami. So I still think this group can level up uh, in 2024. And look, I, I still think too, you know, go get one explosive threat in the transfer portal would be nice. And then if you can find a way to get Jeremiah Smith, that'd be awesome too. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at. Just I I do think that if you can go get a top, top tier wide receiver, or just a really, really highly productive wide receiver, just a really good football player in that wide receiver room, I would go get a guy Um, if you don't get Jeremiah Smith. If you get Jeremiah Smith, again, I think he's an instant impact type but uh again obviously long way to go there but right now just the way the flow of it's going I, I would I would I would key in on whichever one of the wide receivers is you know you know the best in the portal just try to try to pluck from that top pool that top tier of available wide receivers go get one because one of those guys could just be a, a total different change games yeah change totally change a game so that's where I'm at with the wide receiver room tight end position you know I have to be honest like I didn't really think there was much there with that group. And I think I think they played too much this season, to be honest. That's just me uh, relative to their production and what they were actually bringing to the field. Um, I do think there's something there with true freshman Riley Williams, but playing tight end is really hard for a true freshman, especially in this system. They're asked to do everything in the offense. You have to be a receiver. You have to block. You have to know a ton of different assignments. I think Riley Williams did an okay job as a true freshman, but uh, he's a true freshman. Um, you know, I think it was unfortunate that Elijah Arroyo never really got fully healthy after sustaining a, a serious injury last year. I think a lot of that's mental, quite frankly. And so he just has to get over that mental hurdle. Um, 
but regardless, he, he wasn't able to make much of an impact this year, which was tough on that group and on the offense. Cam McCormick led the group with 62 yards, receiving yards. Um, and look, for me, Gabby, I mean, I've kind of been pounding this table all season. I think they they played the tight ends too much on the field. Cam McCormick played 530 snaps. Riley Williams played 299 snaps. I would have rather played Brashard Smith more. He played only 212 offensive snaps. So if I was going to nitpick something that I didn't like about snap counts this year, it would be that. I don't know. What was your take on the tight end group? Yeah, I think probably the biggest tie, biggest takeaway. I mean, just being kind of encouraged by what Riley Williams has done, right? Like just the fact that he's a true freshman, get kind of got a, a solid taste for college football. I think he's going to be a really good player here down the line. I, I think, again, they might have put a little bit too much on his plate. And for a true freshman tight end, I think it's again, big ask. Uh, so for me, a lot of it just has to do with Riley Williams and the fact that Elijah Arroyo got hurt and how much that kind of derailed things. I think they expected it to get him back basically by ACC play. I think they hoped that he would kind of be ready to go. Uh, that obviously was not the case. And he was kind of up and down and in and out and things like that. And it just never got going for him. Um, but yeah, I think that that potentially hurt just the overall production of the room and having to kind of play Cam McCormick more than I think anybody would have liked. But I think that again, that's what the system called for. They played a lot of tight ends. It was a lot of car. It was a lot of Cam McCormick. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think, I think, you know, cause looking ahead to, to next year and, you know, just kind of thinking about the, what the room looks like in the future. Uh, you know, I, I do think Riley Williams is going to be a good player. And if Elijah Royo, you know, if, if he's back and he, he is fully healthy, uh, I, I do think that that's a nice little one, two at tight end. And, and just, again, what the room looks like. I, I think that they have some guys in there that can play. Yeah. And, and look, Jaleel Skinner is a guy to keep an eye on. I think he's, I think he's taken a red shirt this year. Um, but I also wonder too, like, is he, is he going to keep pushing to take his game to the next level? He definitely has talent as a pass catching tight end, but Miami wants well-rounded tight ends. And so I think he needs to take the next step in all those other phases of tight end play. Uh, and I do like, you know, the freshman that they're going to be bringing in Elijah Lofton as an H back. I think he can be a weapon in that role. Definitely. Um, Maybe a Jaheen Bell type ish uh, yeah. tight end. So I think that's how they view him. I think like that would that's kind of like how they envision him. So okay. if my if he if Miami gets that, and I think Elijah Lofton could potentially be a little bit more juiced up, right? Yeah, I mean, Jaheen Bell's definitely athletic, but yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I think he can be a nice contributor to an offense um, in that role. Offensive line, you know, a lot to like here. Big time group. Yep. I think it was a top 10 offensive line group in the country. Um, really talented group, a group that has pro and alpha mentalities, their, their mental makeup across the line. It, it, you know, all five of those starters, it's what you want the whole team to reflect from a mentality standpoint. Um, just pros that are about the work and producing on the field. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious. Like this group was phenomenal this year. I don't know what to say beyond that. Matt Lee was a difference maker at center. Uh, Jalen Rivers was probably more reliable at left tackle than I would have expected. Um, I think he did a nice job in that role. 
Um, you know, Francis Malinoa took his lumps, but I think overall he was he was fine. Uh, he was good in the run game. He had his struggles in some games in pass protection, but overall he was pretty solid in pass protection in more games than not. Um, and I think the bottom line, Gabby, with this with this position group is under Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal, we're you know Miami fans are not going to have to worry about the offensive line year after year after year, which is nice. Huge because I mean having the offensive line figured out and knowing that that's a group that's going to be reliable and that's going to be you know I, I think they're always going to have that mentality right because. I mean, that's, I mean, Alex Mirabal and Mario Cristobal, they, they do a good job of finding and injecting that into their guys. Uh, I think they're just going to attract high level offensive linemen because of how, you know, how that operation kind of works. Uh, so I, I, I think the, the whole mentality of that offensive line definitely is a representation of what I think Mario Cristobal would like it to look kind of like what you're saying across the roster. Uh, I think Miami's still building that, but I mean, that offensive line is. I mean, again, I think in my, from what, from when I can remember just watching Miami football, just growing up and things like that. I mean, uh, that was one of the best Miami offensive lines I, I can remember actually watching and, and like taking away from a game that, yeah, that was obviously a wet, like the offensive line was a weapon. Uh, they were definitely a weapon and across the board, they were, they were great. And yeah, Francis, you know, went through his ups and downs and, you know, maybe if you're nitpicking, you know, maybe got called for, or was penalized a little bit more than you yeah. would like, but he's a freshman and those things are going to happen. And the future is just insanely bright for him. Uh, and we saw what he can do, like, you know, in, in the run game too, just how he can kind of get up, he can move. And you know, we saw in that Louisville game, how he basically just eliminated uh, an, an entire defender from a play on that Brashard Smith touchdown run. So, you know, I, th I, I think there's a lot to just love about the offensive line, just the play across the board and uh, whatever it looks like. I, again, one of those things I'm just not stressed about. I don't just not even going to worry about what they're going to do, who, how they're going to replace this person with. I, I, I fully trust those guys that they're going to get it done on the offensive line and, and find the right five. So we know we know Javian Cohen is going off to the NFL. He's accepted a senior bowl invite. I'd like to split at least Matt Lee and Jalen or Jalen Rivers. And uh, I think there's a chance they do split, bringing back at least one of those guys. Um, and, and even if they don't, Miami will return Francis, Inez Cooper, Matthew McCoy, Tommy Kinsler, Samson Okanlola. So hopefully Samson is good to go by the spring. That was kind of the, the word. Uh, when he first injured his knee. Hopefully that is the case. Um, and then look, if they got to go land a portal offensive lineman, they've shown the ability to evaluate that position group, that position at a high level uh, this off season with the, with the additions of Matt Lee and Javian Cohen. So what do you think about the future of the offensive line? Yeah. Just not worried about it. Right. Like I think you have a, uh you know, two potential, you know, pillars in your tackles of, you know, Francis Mauinoa, uh, Samson Akonlola, uh, even like a Tommy, you know, I think even a Tommy Kinsler is a guy that they're internally very excited about. And I know we talked about that a lot, you know, McCoy. just, yeah, Matthew McCoy. And it seems like they're kind of prepping him to potentially compete for that left guard spot. Right. Like, I feel like any chance, right they got, yeah, I feel like any, any chance they kind of got, they would kind of try to rotate him in with JV on, 
uh, with Javian Cohen. Uh, you know, they would just kind of throw Matthew McCoy into the mix. They did, it, they did it early in the season a few times where Matthew McCoy played a couple series in a row. And then in the Boston College game, I think we saw it again where Matthew McCoy uh, played at left guard. And so I think he's someone on the roster they feel like could be a starter level type. And if they can, if they have, if they feel like they have to go into the portal and get an offensive lineman, like, they're going to go get a dude like they're going to go get a dude. Like if they have to replace Matt Lee and they feel like they need to go back to the portal, they're going to attract a, a top tier center. Uh, if they have to go into the portal and they feel like they need to go get a left tackle, you know, I, I feel like they can go into the portal and find a left tackle. Right. Um, so uh, or even a left guard, whatever the case is, you know, I feel like whatever it is that they do, they're going to do it well. And while they're doing that, if they need to do that, I like just the influx of talent coming in. Right. You have a you know top rated junior college offensive lineman in Markel and mm-hmm. Markel Bell, who's just an absolute mountain of a human being who they're going to get Probably in. two years away. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't think yeah, exactly. I don't think people should. I don't think people should perceive him as a instant starter or anything like that. I think Matt, I think Markel Bell knows that he's still a developmental prospect. Like, I don't think he's walking in here expecting to play. When I talk to him after his visit, he's like, yeah, for the next, you know, over the next two or three years, somewhere I can call him for the next two or three years, he knows he needs work. And I think they're, I think it's a great place for him to come in and work and develop. Uh, so and then you got another developmental tackle, young developmental tackle, KV on Broussard, who's long, uh, six foot, six foot six, probably pushing six, seven, uh, you know, probably in that 285 range. He's going to bulk up over the next two seasons. You stick him in a dungeon and just work him out and just get him big and strong. And you'll see what he looks like in 2026. Right. Like you, he can come out on the other end of this thing. Uh, you know, as a beast. Uh, Derek Plaz is another one who I think has potential to be a starter uh, down the line, uh, you know, once he develops and sits in that tra- that uh, that strength and conditioning program for a few years also. So I like what they're bringing in along the in, in the offensive line in the future. And I just think it's one of those deals where you just kind of let them do whatever it is that they want to do. And you just kind of blindly trust it until they give you a reason not to. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Defensively, let's go. Key statistics, year over year improvements on that side of the ball. So in 2023, Miami allowed 22 points per game which ranked 40th in the country, 324 yards per game, which ranked 26th in the country and allowed 5.1 yards per play, which was 37th in the country. So top 40 in all of these metrics. 
in 2022, Miami allowed 26.8 points per game, 66 overall in the country, 376 yards per game. That was 64th in the country and 5.6 yards per play allowed, which is 71st overall in the country. So on that side of the ball as well, Miami was a top 40 defense in a lot of these key metrics. And, you know, I think Lance Gidry is a home run higher. I think there is an effort, a, a big effort to keep him at Miami for a long time. And I personally have some optimism that that will be the case. And that's a good thing. I think, you know, we talked about how he had to redo the structure of the defense with some defensive line injuries going from four, three looks to three, three, five looks. That's really impressive to, to me at the college level to pull off and they kind of maintain their level uh, during the course of the season. And, um, you know, I think Lance Gidry's a good teacher. I think he relates well to the players and he knows how to mix it up schematically and make in-game adjustments. I think they hit a grand slam home run with this defensive coordinator hire. What were your thoughts on defensive performance as a whole this season, Gabby? The, the defense, I think, yeah, I was, it, it's extremely impressive just to see what they kind of just did year over year, right? Like I think just from what we saw last year to what we saw this year, I think you, we talk about foundation and, and those kind of building blocks. I think we saw Lance Gidry in his first year kind of just start building up, you know, the, the foundation of what this defense is going to look like in coming years. And, uh, you know, they did it. You talk about having to kind of mix schemes and mix, mix up systems. Uh, you know, they were there. There were holes on this defense that I think Lance Gidry was able to kind of, I don't know, disguise or just kind of find a way to, to, to like make those weaknesses not so apparent by the way he kind of schemed it up. Like Miami at times really lacked, you know, ide the ideal size body types at defensive tackle. And I think you saw the way that he was able to kind of adjust through that. And despite that still have a very aggressive front that still made things really complicated uh, for offenses. And it was, you know, tackle for loss, heavy uh, pressure, heavy, uh, you know, so I think the way Lance Gidry drew this thing up is, you know, I like kind of like what you're saying, like, you find a way to keep a guy like that long-term because when the personnel's right, when they have what they kind of need to go, like, like again, just position by position, everything that it needs to kind of look like, especially along that interior defensive line. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun watching what Lance Gidry can do when he's not having to sort of mask certain things that aren't perfect, uh, you know, roster wise, yeah. personnel wise. So I, I love Lance Gidry. Uh, do, do, do what you got to do to, to keep him away from the SEC and maybe some other, you know, high level programs, whatever the case is, because Lance Kidry is, I think he's a, he's just an absolute beast. Let's talk about defensive end and, and just kind of what we liked. I think the starting point there is Ruben Bain. Yep. Uh, Miami's pass rushing would have been a nightmare without Ruben Bain this year. They lost to Keen Mesador in the second game. They lost Nigel Kelly. What? A couple games later. Yeah. Uh, Bain finished the year tied for the team lead with seven and a half uh, sacks. He generated 42 quarterback pressures. How good is that? That number tied Jalen Phillips uh, in terms of Miami Hurricanes, you know, top uh, pressure numbers here in recent years. Wow. Jalen Phillips in 2020 had 42 pressures as well. Jalen did it in 10 games, 
but still that that number is impressive. Greg Rousseau and John Garvin each had each. This was crazy looking back at it. 46 pressures in 2019. So that's a big time number uh, from a true freshman, no less. And from what I could tell, Gabby, looking through PFF stuff, it's the most pressures by a true freshman in a regular season since Alabama's Will Anderson in 2020. He finished that regular season, I think, with 47 pressures. And then when you include the postseason pressures, uh, he finished that year with 60 pressures. So Ruben Bain is a, uh, a starting point for this year's defense. And Miami still has him for two more years. Yeah, that, I mean, Ruben Bain is exactly where it goes. I mean, you obviously highlighted all those things. For me, it's just, just uh, along those lines, it's just how even the, despite losing basically both of your starters, I don't think that there was just a totally drastic drop-off as far as just a defensive end production. And it was because Bain was so good, right? Like, again, if you don't have Ruben Bain in this situation, like losing both of your starting defensive ends like that is is tough. Like, that's a tough situation to kind of be in. But because Ruben Bain was so good and came along like came along so quickly in his first college season like i i think it it definitely helped alleviate uh, some of those losses in two good you know college edge rushers so i mean i think that ruben bain is a story of miami's defensive end room um you know and you know credit to jason taylor for getting him ready to go you know guess getting yeah. him He's obviously uniquely talented and all those things, but you know, I think he, I think he, he obviously got stronger. Uh, an already strong person got stronger. He looked like he got faster. That motor is unreal. And uh, you know, credit to Jason Taylor for coaching him up. Uh, you know, in the what not, you know, eight full months before they kicked off and and had him ready. Man, they they really really had Ruben being ready. Yeah, it could have been a disaster. Uh, you know, losing guys like Mesador and Kelly. It's easy to brush aside because it worked out, but it could have been a huge, huge deal during the course of the season. So uh, Jason Taylor did a nice job considering what he had to work with, considering they had to change the structure of the front. So I agree. What about the future? Like, what what's it look like to you, Gabby? I think we know, like, Bain, to me, is a guy that can play inside or outside. Yeah. But let's keep him on the outside here. And then Akeem Mesidor, uh, I think he's coming back. So optimism there. And Nigelie Kelly comes back next year too, uh, you know, as a junior, as a third-year player. So to me, that's a strong starting point, but I think you still need more depth. Where do they find that? Yeah, I think you go into the transfer portal, right? I think they can absolutely go into the transfer portal, find one more guy. I'm not thinking you have to bring in a, like, you know, a, even a few edge rushers, but I think that there's room to go out and, you know, again, the line of scrimmage is too important. And, you know, you love that Akeem Mesidor's, you know, sounds like he's coming back, which is great news. You get Nigel Lee Kelly back, hopefully fully healthy by the time he's ready to go. Ruben Bain, another year older, another year stronger. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And you go out and potentially get another pass rusher type, another, you know, twitch, twitchy guy that you can throw on the edge. Uh, I would go into the portal and try to find at least one, right? One one guy that you know has starter level potential that can go in and be a part of this, you know, heavy rotation that they like to throw out. So uh, I, I would definitely go get an edge. And then as far as high school talent, 
Uh, you know, I think you have to feel really good about a guy like Marquis Lightfoot potentially being, you know, a freshman who can come in. And if he gets it gets in in January, uh, again, what, what's he going to look like in eight months? Right. And in those eight months after a full spring, full summer, full fall camp and all that stuff. And I think of the high school crop, I think Marquis Lightfoot might be the one that uh, potentially has a chance to play. He's, you know, extremely twitchy. Uh, I think he has a very unique ability to to rush the passer. So love Marquis Lightfoot. You also got, got guys like Elias Rudolph. Uh, out of the Cincinnati area, it's a little thin. We'll probably need some time in the strength and, and conditioning room. Uh, you know, develop Cole McConathy, uh, the pass rusher out of the state of Alabama, who they flipped from Louisville, uh, six foot five, two thirty five. Again, he already kind of has some mass. He's gonna need. He's gonna be someone that's just gonna need to continue to bulk up, but he has a chance to be a you know a guy that helps you in the future. Um, I think he's he's leading the state of Alabama in sacks and tackles for loss. Uh, he finished yeah. 24 and a half sacks and 36 and a half tackles for loss. So he's a dude that can he's a go. good player. Yeah. He's a good player. Uh, we'll see. Like, we'll, again, we'll see what he looks like down the line. Uh, but, you know, I think just overall, I feel good about what the defensive end room looks like and and what it can potentially look like in the future, because I think Miami's done a good job of, of attracting talent there. And I think they will in the portal, too. I think they'll be able to find a quality pass rusher to kind of come in and add some more juice to that room for 2024. How about defensive tackle? Um, I feel like over the course of the season, Jared Harrison hunt really leveled up. So that was good to see. He he had to play a little defensive end too with their three, three, five looks at times, but that versatility speaks to his athleticism and what he can bring to a defensive front. So that was encouraging. I think Branson Dean was a solid addition from Purdue. They didn't add him. I think they really could have been in a tough spot at defensive tackle for the whole season. You know, I think Leonard Taylor, it's tough, right? Because he's 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 a good player, but he's a five-star recruit with high expectations. I think it's fair to say there's some unfulfilled potential there. And I hate players that have unfulfilled potential. Um, but he's still a, a pretty good college defensive tackle. I think that's fair to say. Um and then, you know, Amon Moten flashed a little bit in this last game. Uh, Thomas Gore flashed a little bit in his in his little role. Um, Jake Lichtenstein flashed a little bit at the end of the season. So uh, they kind of had to piece things together. We, we kind of maintained how this was a group that we were keeping an eye on before the start of the season. I think overall they were fine. Like, I don't think it was like a noticeable issue, their play during the course of the season, but it is a group I think that needs to keep leveling up here talent wise, especially in the portal because they went all in trying to land big time defensive tackles at the high school level. Haven't been able to land one. Um, so it needs to come through in the portal. In addition to continuing to develop Josh Horton and a and a mod Moten. Yeah, the first thing I wrote down is like, and it's kind of like what you're alluding to. Also, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, and that's because they went into that portal season just looking for these big body defensive tackles. And we were kind of sitting here out after the portal, like, did they get what they were looking for? Like, they definitely didn't get what I think they that they were hoping to find. And I was just not sure how it was going to look. Uh, you know, again, Granton Dean ended up being solid uh but again another guy who doesn't have those you know prototypical measurables uh probably around like the six foot mark uh what was he 280 maybe 290 david like i don't yeah. know uh you know l leonard taylor obviously did a good job but then you got another undersized defensive tackle and thomas gore 
Uh, Jared Harrison Hunt, again, is the guy I think had a really good season. But, you know, considering that they didn't find what they wanted, I was just like, I don't know what this is going to look like. Like, this might be pretty terrible. And despite all that, um, you know, I thought that the group played pretty good. Like, I didn't think it was just a draft. I didn't think it was a a huge, like, you know, black eye on the defense. Like, oh, man, if only they had these defensive tackles, like, or the, how are they going to, you know, like, I think the, I think that the group was was fine in that time. You know, they I think that they performed well uh, considering all of that. And to that point, I'm encouraged about what it's going to look like if they do level up that talent, right? Like, you talk about the transfer yeah. portal. Th- there is going to be a heavy, heavy emphasis uh, at defensive tackle in the transfer portal, like an extremely, extremely heavy emphasis. I could see them looking to bring in, you know, three, four names at defensive tackle alone. Right. Like, I think that they're really going to try to stock up that room and what it's going to look like. So, uh, you know, again, what it's going to look like when it maybe looks the way that it should, I think is going to be awesome. But the fact that it didn't particularly look the way you would want it to look on paper or anything like that, or ideally, and they still found a way to be productive. So, uh, you know, I think that group, again, I think they performed better than I thought that they would have performed going into the season. What do you think the future looks like? Because I I hope Jared Harrison Hunt comes back. I think yeah. he still needs to keep developing, and there's still more to improve on in his game. Josh Horton, I think, can be a big-body defensive tackle for them that plays a big role next year. Uh, Ahmad Moten can be a rotational player. Honestly, I'm not sure on Jamil Burroughs. I'm not sure like if he'll be around. We'll see yeah. the Alabama transfer they took in. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, Portal. Maybe they can pick off a five-star at the buzzer. I don't know. Um, they're always going to be trying. But I'll admit, I am a little nervous again about defensive tackle. Yep, same. Portal dependence, but... yep. They, Here we they are. Found, yeah, they found a way last year, so we'll see. Linebacker. Uh, what we liked. I mean, look, I think over the course of the season, totality-wise, Kiko Maui Noah, to me, was the defensive MVP. Um, 17, was it 17 and a half tackles for loss? 17 tackles for loss, something like yeah. that. Seven and a half uh, sacks and 25 quarterback pressures. So... He um, was second on the team in quarterback pressures. We talked about how the defensive line struggled to find production, um, not find production, but struggled with some injuries. And Kiko Mauinoa as a blitzer definitely made up for some of that loss of defensive end bodies uh, that would have contributed to the pass rushing ability. So to me, Kiko Malinoa is the defensive MVP of this past season. You know, some of the things I didn't like, you know, I still I still feel like they're missing a consistent weak side linebacker that can run sideline to sideline. I think Wesley Besaint flashes that at times, but it needs to be more consistent. You know, I think Corey Flagg was fine, uh, but he still also had some Corey Flagg moments. Um you know, where he struggles against athletic high-level running backs. Um, but overall, Kiko Mauinoa was a massive, massive addition to this defense. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What were your thoughts on the linebacker spot, Gabby? 
I, I think it was some of the best linebacker play we've seen since kind of like that Shaq Quarterman, Mike Pickney, um, you know, just that era of Miami linebacker play. Uh, Kiko Maui Noah was just an absolute, I think he's just a stud of a college middle linebacker. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what that look, And that's not a, not, I'm not saying this, that's like a knock on him at all. Like not sure exactly what it looks like the next level, but he can be a two year starting middle linebacker at Miami and, you know, be like highly, highly successful at the college level. Uh, to your point, I mean, Wesley was saying, I think he improved and I think he showed flashes, which is encouraging. And I, I want to see what he looks like again as a junior uh, in 2024, because I think that's when we're really going to need to kind of start to see Wesley Besaint kind of answer that weak side linebacker question, where I think it's going to be more on him to take over that spot and uh, kind of be that guy there full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, and just really with the rest of the linebackers, like Corey Flag, I think obviously way lesser of a role for him as a guy that started. But I think. You know, I think just in general, uh, you know, considering a smaller role, I think it was, you know, better than what we've seen from Corey Flagg at times in the past. Uh, I think really, I think Derek Nicholson, you know, credit to him. I think he's good. I think he, yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a really good coach. Uh, I think he drastically improved the linebacker play, like, you know, considering what it has looked like, uh, even going out and getting like a KJ Cloyd to, to add to the depth and making that type of move, right. Shows that, you know, he can go out and, and, and fill something. He can go recognize, recognize a weakness and be like, I have a solution. I can, I'm going to go find a solution for this. So I I like, I like Derek Nicholson. I think he did a really good job in year one. And uh, you know, I think, you know, people love Derek Nicholson. I mean, I think he's, I think he's awesome. I think he was, I think he's He's done a really good job. I think he's done a really good job with, with the linebackers. And I feel good too about the future. I think, if Definitely. I'm looking at the future, right, I, I think you go Kiko, Kiko next year, Wesley next year. And I think it's time to elevate those two freshmen yeah. that oh, flashed oh, yeah. this year. Popo, Aguirre, sure. and Marcellius Pulliam. And uh, maybe you bring in one transfer portal guy, too, if there's a guy that you feel like, kind of like a KJ Cloyd that can help from a depth perspective, uh, whether he's young or old, I don't know. But um but yeah, I, I would move forward with that group for next year. Would you push back on that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't push push back at all. And I do want to see what uh what Popo and Marcellus Pulliam look like uh, you know, just yeah. into the spring. And with linebacker, you're talking about going out and getting a depth piece. Like that might be something that I kind of hit the pause button on and I kind of wait to see what the spring plays out like plays out like. Cause I think you could potentially roll with those four. And after the spring, if you feel like you kind of just need a guy, I feel like that might be a better time to go out. Cause I do want to give Popo and, and Pulliam some reps, right? Like I want to give I want to see what those guys got, you know, after yeah. spending a year in the program and and those types of things. And I think both those guys were also summer enrollees, right? Like I don't think those guys were early enrollees. Correct. I, am I am I getting that right? Uh, yes. So I think just kind of watching and seeing what they do in the spring, I'm going to be very kind of curious to see how those guys take those steps. And then if you feel like at the end, you probably will, right? Like I think, I think as we're going getting closer to that spring window, I can definitely see myself saying like, Hey, maybe let's explore a, a, another linebacker. Maybe let's go get a, a, a guy who can kind of be more of a depth piece at linebacker. Like, I think I'm going to be all for that, but I do want to see how those young guys kind of progress in year two. And, um, but I, and I'm willing to kind of wait it out and see what it looks like, uh, you know, in the spring. Like, I don't think it's an immediate like December transfer portal need, like go get another linebacker. Cornerback. We talked about how Derek Nicholson did a nice job this year with the linebacker group. I think Jamal Adai did a big time job with this group. Yeah. Uh, I think he got the absolute most out of what he had to work with, which is, which is the objective of any coach. Uh, Daryl Porter 
really emerged as a dependable college corner. Uh, Jaden Davis, I think, did his thing as a transfer from Oklahoma to Corey Couch, played his best football in his last year. Uh, Damari Brown flashed at the end of the season. I think he's got big-time cornerback one potential. And Jadis Richard, I think, uh, showed he's got something to him as well to keep developing uh, in the future. I wish Devontae Brown, uh, Damari's older brother, I wish he was more consistent with his opportunities. He tied for the team lead with five penalties against him uh, on the defensive side, which were pass interference penalties, and he only played 180 snaps. So, you know, he did have opportunities. It's just hard to play you when, you know, you're constantly committing pass interference penalties when teams are targeting you. So hopefully Devontae sticks with it, uh, levels up his game in the spring, kind of gets that poise and coverage that he needs because he does have some talent as well. So overall, you know, look, this group was better than I expected coming into the season. It was a group that I was kind of nervous about. And quite frankly, Daryl Porter might be a pretty good college corner. I don't know. Who knew? <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I've really considering what this group is just knowing what they are physically. I, I think they maximized what they could possibly be over the course of the season. Yeah. I mean, everything I wrote down is basically all you said, so I don't want to echo it too much, but just some of my just quick hitter thoughts. Uh, Daryl Porter out of nowhere became a very solid cornerback. Uh, did not expect that. I think even as we were kind of getting, I think even post spring, uh, not spring fall camp, I don't think any, I don't think Daryl Porter was like on our radar as like, Oh, this guy. And I think it became kind of closer to actual, like the season really, really starting that it was like, Oh wait, Daryl Porter is going to be like a guy. And uh, he, I mean, really good job. I mean, definitely tip of the caps to Jamal die for getting Daryl Porter ready. Uh, Miami was patient with Damari Brown. I think before the season, we thought maybe they would ask to, Right. Yeah, I mean, they would ask him to kind of like do a little bit like that's a lot to ask for a freshman cornerback, a, a summer enrollee to start. They were patient with him. I think that paid off because at the tail end of his freshman year, he showed a lot of really good things to Corey Couch, had his ups and downs, played his best football of his career. Uh, you know, again, kind of going into some of the stuff I didn't like Devonte Brown. Obviously, I don't think that that situation worked out exactly the way that maybe they hoped. And I think those PIs were uh, had a lot to do with it. Jadis Richard, I kind of just thought he was more he was going to be more ready to go. But kind of have to remind myself that he's also a young guy. Like he was just a, he was a true sophomore this year. And I do think at the back end of this year, he started to kind of show those things and just kind of going into Jamal Adai. Uh, I think he did a good job of just kind of managing that room and absolutely feel like he got the most out of the talent uh, from that, from that, from that group. So, I mean, I think Jamal Dye did a, an awesome job uh, considering really what was available to him. And so, yeah, that's, that's again, a lot of the same things, but just kind of reading through what I had put down on paper. Future, you know, I think you're looking at De- Daryl, Damari, mm-hmm. Jadis. Um, I think you could maybe bring in a transfer too. Um, you know, and then keep developing the young guys, bring in some freshmen. I think the objective is to keep leveling up the talent in that room. So hopefully they can get that done. Safety, uh, what we liked, you know, I think, I think it's fair to say James Williams leveled up this year. Uh, he was consistent in coverage, pretty good in run support, played a versatile role, whether that was as a free safety at times or in the box, even at times played outside linebacker. I think it was also 
pretty clear that, you know, Cam Kitchens brings that playmaking ability on the back end. You know, he can be frustrating at times because his aggress aggressiveness will get him in trouble with allowing big plays. But overall, I feel like the starting two safeties had a had a good season and and you know, they they were two of Miami's best players on the year. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree that James Williams, I think he played the best football of his career. Uh, you know, just the, the role that he plays and how versatile he is. I think it's going to create, I think it, that creates value for him in the NFL. Uh, I think he took strides with his physicality, but I think that's, he's still in, yeah. I think that's still a work in progress. I think that there's times where he still struggles with, uh, you know, right. that just total, like, you know, drive a guy to the ground type of tackling physicality and all those types of things. But when he does it, it looks really great and he looks awesome doing it. Uh, so I think James Williams is, I think he, he made a ton of strides. Cam Kitchens, you know, uh, I, I I was definitely frustrated by Cam Kitchens a lot. And maybe it's because the expectations are so high. And, uh, you know, I do think in coverage, he can, again, be over aggressive. And, uh, you know, I think that that I think when he makes those mistakes, they're so like backbreaking. They're so costly that and yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, he if you're going to be really aggressive like that, you got kind of got to, and he does make plays. And when he makes some of those plays, it looks really, really good. Like that play he made against Louisville on that Jack Plummer throw, yeah. how far he got across the field to make that play. I mean, it's, it's next level stuff. That's Sunday stuff. Like he has Sunday, like he has Sunday ability, but I think he just needs to, uh, you know, dial it in a little bit more and know when to kind of pick that aggressiveness because there are, when, it, when he, when it's, when it, and it doesn't work out in his favor, it's, it's uh you know potentially it's potentially a touchdown and it has been touchdowns before so um you know I, again he is a really good player and his high, and he, when he's good he's really really good but I still think he has a, I think I still think he's a work in progress and he's gonna grow another one who I'm not sure if I expect him back like I think he's another one that's I think right. an NFL coach is probably gonna get their hands on him and see all the tools that he has and and try to just kind of you know refine him a little bit and I could see him being a guy that sticks yeah. around in the league for a few years. What do you feel like the future looks like at safety? Yeah, to me Portal. it's kind of yeah, to me it's cloudy, right? That's the word I wrote down. It's still kind of cloudy. Like I feel like there's just not that we just don't know exactly what it looks like. Um, I don't think that there's a clear answer to those departures right now on the roster. Uh, Jaden Harris, uh, you know, when he had to fill in for camp for Camp Kitchens, I think he did a serviceable job, and maybe that he gets an opportunity to compete. We didn't see a lot of Caleb Spencer. I'm not sure if Markeith Williams is the answer. Uh, to me, you have to go get two portal safeties. Like I think it's agreed. I think you have to go try to find two starter level safeties in the portal, and then you know have have the, the returning guys compete. Right. I think you need to kind of maintain that level of competition, but I think you need to go find two safeties who can potentially be your two starters. And uh, so let's see what emerges out there. Um, I think that there are options, you know, again, just kind of scanning the sport and how chaotic this transfer portal season will probably be. Uh, I think that it's going to be important for Miami to find, uh, you know, some transfers that can come in and look, I mean, you got a guy like Zaquan Patterson, who's Miami's highest ranked recruit, right? He's a safety, right? And uh, again, I still try, I'm still trying to figure out if he's early enrolling or if he's going to be a summer guy. But if he is somehow an early enrollee, which would be unlikely because he's a Chaminade kid, uh, I think that would be a huge opportunity for him. Like if I'm his people trying to figure stuff out, I'm trying to get him to Miami as quickly as possible. Because uh, I think if you give him those eight right. full months, I think he has a chance because um, he's so talented, right? And uh, so I think Zaquan Patterson is, is is a future starter at Miami, and I think he's going to be a difference maker for Miami for multiple years. Uh, so I'm definitely encouraged uh, by him being a part of the future plans for Miami.
Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial, and let's take pride in our finances. The holiday season is upon us, and Midway Sports is here to take care of all of your sporting good needs. Check out their wide range of selections for all your golf, pickleball, football, basketball, and baseball needs with a variety of -of top-of-the-line necessities and accessories to help you look and perform your best on the field of play. All of that located just a mile south of the University of Miami campus. Midway Sports is also there for all of your team uniform needs, whether that be your kids' Little League team or your adult softball team. Tell them Gabby Rudia with Through the Smoke sent you, and they will take 30% off the price of, of the cost of your uniform order. All right, let's go big picture. Overall thoughts on the program, kind of where things are at after this second season under the Mario Cristobal era. Um, I think the the main question here to answer, Gabby, is are things on the right trajectory? And for me, like where I'm at with answering those questions, that question is, I think, look, in the macro, in a micro sense, I think there's plenty to be frustrated about with how this 2023 season played out. You know, I think it's fair in a micro sense to be frustrated with dropping a game you should have won. I think it's fair to be frustrated with some in-game decisions, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you pull this out, pull this thing back and, and look at the program in a macro level, I do think the program is on the right track. You know, look, we talked about the improvements of the offense and the defense. Miami was one of 19 teams in the country to have a top 40 offense and a top 40 defense. And I think 13 of those teams one double-digit games this year. So Miami was, unfortunately, one of the few teams that did not achieve that. Uh, interestingly, I think Texas A&M and Miami were the two top 40 offensive defense teams that only went 7-5 and five this year. So um, that is frustrating. But I do think eye test-wise, when you see the body types, when you see how they are building this the right way on the line of scrimmage because that's what the real teams have in college football is line of scrimmage play. Uh, Miami is getting there. They now have the systems in place with Shannon Dawson's systems, Lance Gidry's systems. 
I think that you can build build on and, and attract talent to. Um, and look, I think when you talk about what it takes to win big consistently in college football, not just a one-year flash in the pan like how TCU was last year, right? Um, but consistently winning 10 games year after year after year after year, I think it takes mainly three elements. And two of them have to do with talent acquisition with in, in regards to landing elite talent and having good depth. So those are the two talent acquisition elements. And I think the other thing that's most important with establishing a program is your culture. You have to have the right culture in place of guys all working together, pushing towards the, the same things. And within that comes the development of the players and competition, et cetera, et cetera. And this is where I think Mario Cristobal excels. He he does he does run a good program, Gabby. Um, you know, he isn't perfect on game day, but I do think he he does a, a really good job, you know, what, 362 days a year. And while while those games that you know, some some decisions can be frustrating. I think that's fair. Um, but in terms of just running a program that can consistently win, I think he can do that at Miami. And I think as long as he keeps leveling up the talent, he's going to get it to where Miami is consistently winning 10 games a year. Now, during the 24-7 sports era, Miami has, which is the, which dates back to the 2011 cycle. Miami has never signed consecutive top 10 recruiting classes. Mario Cristobal did that last year in his first recruiting class. He signed a top 10 class. This year, right now as we speak, he has the number 11 class in the country. So he's on the cusp of doing that for the first time uh, during this 24-7 sports era, which again, dates back to 2011. And... Mario Cristobal will tell you, you know, with some truth serum, I don't think he'll publicly admit this, but privately, this is a four-year plan. You got to give him four cycles to add talent. And if they are able to add two top 10 classes back-to-back -back for the first time in this modern era, I think he, you know, he deserves time. And both things can be true to me. Yes, this season was frustrating. Yes, they did underachieve. I think that is fair to say. But I also think it's fair to say that things are on the right track in a big picture sense. And I think you can see it when you step back and look at this thing on a macro level. Yeah, I think the the whole, I think looking, and I think I said this at some point, but when you kind of, when you take that step back from like that 30,000 foot view, I think you can look at this thing and see that they are definitely on the right trajectory. They, they are doing the right things. I think the right offensive system is in place for the most part. I think they have a system that's very friendly to playmakers, uh, the right quarterback. You know, when the quarterback plays well, we sh it showed that this system is can, can deliver a, you know, good quarterback results. Um, it's really good on the offensive line. Uh, there's a heavy emphasis on the defensive line of scrimmage and, 
you know, they're, they're doing a good job of like, uh, they're doing an okay job of, of getting to where they want to be there. And then the talent acquisition process has just been, has been elevated to a point that this program hasn't seen in a long time. So to me, yes, the program is, is clearly on the right trajectory. And it, again, like kind of like what you're alluding to, it's easy to, to nitpick right now. And obviously there's some very real frustrations, things I'm frustrated too, that things that anyone would be frustrated by, uh, you know, from a game management, all, all that type of stuff and decision-making. But I think with, as you continue to elevate the overall roster and you have two strong systems in place, two top 40 units. I mean, before the season, would you have predicted that this team had two top four, a top 40 offense, a top 40 defense? We were, I think that was one of the talking points. Like, can this team be this? Like, can, can this team right. have a top 40 offense? Can this team have a top 40 defense? And typically those teams go at least nine and three. Like that's yeah. the frustrating thing. Yeah. And this team, you know, again, and it's, this is like, obviously, you know, whatever moral victory or loser mentality type of stuff. But like there was a path to nine and three, like this team could have potentially been that with better quarterback play with a couple things going different that again, that, that are frustrating, that are very frustrating turnovers, Turnovers derailed things. Right. Exactly. But like there, there was a path, like there was, there was a, there was a, there was a path to something like that. Not saying that this is a nine and three team or should have been a nine and three team. This team lost five games and they're a seven and five team hundred percent. But I think the the steps that they've taken, the improvements that they've made, um, you know, again, statistically from ba- basically across the board have been elevated and they will continue to elevate as the talent level elevates. And as there's more continuity of just everyone being in the system that they're familiar with for the first time in a while, there's been three different offensive coordinators in three, the past three seasons, three different defensive coordinators, the past three seasons. If you just, you continue to kind of build off this, off what they have now off this foundation and you can just kind of rise you know continue to again build up from it i think you put your your program in a better position to be successful so hopefully though miami keeps both shannon dawson lance gidry and they build off of this and if they do again i think it's clearly clearly on the right trajectory if you look when you look at it from that perspective if you have one wish for 2024 so for next season what would it be top 10 quarterback play you know, again, maybe that's a big wish, but just to, like, what does you know, that mean? I mean, a, a quarterback that, you know, again, I think could be considered to be an NFL type of arm, uh, a guy that doesn't throw 10 interceptions over a five game span uh, to just be a little. But, you know, a guy that is going to be that's going to be a good, a good, solid, efficient distributor of the football. Uh, he can put up, you know, yardage, you know, a, a, a lot of, you know. I'm saying I don't know if elite level yardage. I'm not saying lead the nation in passing, but you can be a you know a 28 to 34 touchdowns touchdown passes. Uh, you know, kind of hopefully single digit interception type of guy, a guy that can just elevate this passing game to a, to a next level to its next kind of tier, kind of like the trajectory that Tyler Van Dyke was on. Because I think at one point he had like a 10 to one INT touchdown to interception ratio. Yeah. That's, that's not really sustainable. That's not really, I, I, that's not sustainable. I'm not saying that that's like, just like the standard, but if Tyler Van Dyke maintained that trajectory, he would have been close to being a top 10 quarterback. Right. And what would that, what, what, what would have Miami season looked like if he maintained that, you know, kind of, again, that track that he was on. So, I mean, if I had one wish, it would be quarterback play. That was maybe, you know, a full season of what we got out, out of Tyler. Yeah, it's consistent quarterback play, not turnover heavy, not being the reason that you're losing games based on the quarterback play. So if I had one wish, it would just be 
Tyler Van Dyke's first four games over the course of 12. And I think if you get that in 2024 with a better roster, I think you're looking at a team that can be, you know, drastically improved. Well, that's a playoff team. It could be. I don't know. I'm not saying that. I mean, in, well, in 2024, it could be because it's a, you know, it's a, what is it? 12 team playoff. Like yeah. you have a chance to compete for that. Right. I think you put yourself in position to compete for that, which is, a, you know, kind of the new tier. Right. I mean, you obviously want to be as good as you can. But right now, like, you know, in this new age of college football, now you want to be a top 12 team because you want to give yourself a chance to play in this expanded playoff, which is a really big deal. So, yeah, I'd maybe lower like I'm with you on quarterback. Like to me, that's huge. Like they got to get one. Um, I would maybe lower my expectations a little bit. I I just I want a quarterback that has some leadership traits to him because, you know, at the end of the day, the entire team looks to the quarterback when the chips are down. And so I think vocal leadership traits are important there. You know, if a big play is made by the offense, it's okay to be fired up about it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And also too, I hope their quarterback in 2024 has some mobility to him. You know, I would trade a little bit of arm talent for some mobility personally in college football. Um, that's just me. You know, I think it, the mobility factor opens up a lot in the red zone. I think that's important in college football. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, what are you most uneasy about in regards to 2024? Yeah, to me, it's it's still the quarterback. Like I, it just because it's an unknown. Too is yeah, just, D tackles tough. D tackle, D tackles definitely tough. But to me, it's. I mean, I just feel like this is college football. I mean, teams with the best quarterbacks are typically the ones that, like, maybe outside of like Georgia, but they still have a really good quarterback. But like for the most part, like the teams that are the best in college football are the teams with the really good quarterbacks. Like to me, it's just too important. So the fact that we're not sure about it, the fact that we don't know what it's going to look like, to me, that's what makes me uneasy. And sure. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm I not agree. confident that it will get solved because I do believe it will get. Res- I do think they're going to figure it out, and I'm I believe yeah, that that solution is going to be you know, good. And I think we're going to be excited about it whenever, you know, they do figure it out because of the emphasis on it. Right. So I'm not uneasy about the fact that, you know, what's it going to look like? I'm just he's uneasy about about the fact that we don't know what it is right now. We we don't have an under we don't have a grasp of what it is right now. We just don't know yet. So that's what makes me sort of uneasy about 2024 right now. What until does... we know that it's hard. To, it's good. I'm going to be uneasy. That's going to be the thing I'm most uneasy about until we know that. What does 2024 need to look like from a results standpoint? I think you need to kind of get to that nine and three, right? Like I think you nine wins needs to be kind I of like nine the, plus. Yeah. I think you have to win at least nine games. I think that's gotta be the floor. I think it needs, you need to start, you, yeah. you need to win some of those games that you lost and Miami won two more games in 2023 than they won in 2022. Got to go win two more games in 2024 than you did in 2023. Uh, you know, I think that's pro- that's obviously progress. That would harder. be a clear sign of progress. It's definitely harder, but you got to do it. You know, I think in 2024, it would be close to, if not, you know, extremely. Like, I think it would be very, very in Mario Cristobal's favor in, as far as which player on the rosters are his versus the previous regimen. So in 2024, maybe some of those guys will be young, you know, to that sort of point. But I think it's going to be a lot more Mario Cristobal players than it is going to be like Manny Diaz players. So 2024, you have a lot more of your guys than you had than you've had before. You know, you got to go, got to go win some games, man. I agree. Nine plus, and then 
the next year it's time to legitimately compete for things um but i do think things are on the right track program as a whole there's always going to be holes to fill year every year um but the good programs can figure it out so i think this was a productive conversation again we got a big 75 percent off deal cyber monday this deal runs through tuesday night at 11:59 p.m 75 percent off 27 bucks gets you an annual subscription to insidetheu.com Appreciate everyone who took advantage of this deal already. Appreciate our longtime subscribers and listeners to this podcast. Your support means a ton to us. And we'll get out of here on that. So until next time, take care.